I'm really glad you came this morning. When Pastor asked me to speak on September 9th, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I hadn't written it down or anything. We live in such a difficult day that if we're not careful, we think that this day is harder for God than it used to be. It's maybe harder for us. And it is, I believe. I really think we've come to the place where people no longer are going to play church or Christian. It's going to cost them something to be a member of the body of Christ and a part of a local congregation. And they'll have to decide whether or not they want to pay that price. But God will be sufficient. God has never been in trouble. The church has existed for 2,000 years with folks just like you and I. It, it, it's a miracle. God has always found someone that he could use and trust and bless and honor. And here we are. Wouldn't you like to be used of God? Wouldn't it be great to be used of God in this day and age when the world has pretty much turned its back on God? So we're going to talk about what I think needs to happen. What needs to happen in this day and age. A.W. Tozer has written a number of books. Here's a quote from A.W. Tozer. Acquaint thyself with God. Get to know God. Get to know him better. Don't need to worry about learning everything there is to know about God. That's not going to happen before the end of our lives. In fact, I don't think in all eternity we're ever going to fully grasp and understand the wonder of God. I kind of like God being so much better than you and I. So much greater than you and I. I mean, if God would have been created in our image, that'd be pitiful, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the Bible says, no, no. And so, here we come. After 2,000 years, acquaint thyself with God. All right. The next slide, another uh, quotation around here and see it. Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And the weightiest word in any language is its word for God. What do you know about God? And not so much what do you know about him, but how well do you know him? 
Let's look at another one. I like this one. We've heard this a number of times. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Young ladies, what does your boyfriend think about God? That's really important. Young men, what does your girlfriend think about God? You need to know. That's a deal breaker. Went to a funeral a week ago. Man was 91 years old. He was in the church in Reed City when I got there. in 1962. At the funeral, they told about him seeing this pretty young lady and wanted to know if she'd go with him to the square dance. She said, no, but I'll go with you to church. And he got saved. And they raised a Christian family. What a joy. It kind of reminded me of uh, Terry and Carolyn. When Carolyn said to him, if you want to see me or go with me, you'll have to go with me to church. So he did and he got saved. Good job, Carolyn. Good job. In, John, in Ephesians, no, yes. No, John 17, 3. Let's look at that one. That's important. This is life eternal. That important to you? It ought to be. This is life eternal. This is it. The whole world wonders, is there an eternity? Is there a heaven and a hell? Is there anything after this? And the Bible just plain says it. This is life eternal. This is life eternal, what? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, knowing personally, intimately, Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. In chapter 1, the first four verses, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful, that's us, in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, peace, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Did you know that you had been blessed with all spiritual blessings? In heavenly places in Christ. Yeah. That's in your checking account. That's in your bank account. That's in your life. It's already there. You have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. According as he hath chosen us in him, he did this before the foundation of the world. He has chosen us and he wants that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He wants us to be holy and without blame before him in love. In our Sunday school class this morning, Ken Babbo is teaching from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you shall receive power. Well, did you or didn't you? It's not optional. It's not maybe. It's not kinda. You shall receive power. And then he says, after you receive the power, you shall be witnesses. Everybody understands that? I think it's clear. You have received power. You shall be witnesses. And you shall be holy. And you shall be without blame before him in love. All of that is available to the child of God. It's something that God has done. I heard someone talking about the sheepfold. In order to get into the sheepfold, you don't need to be able to scale a ladder. You don't need to be able to climb a rope. You don't need a... You, you, no, no, it's right at ground level. The sheep just... It's just, it, you know, just walk in. God does all the work. God provides the power. God makes your witness effective. God has made you holy. Because of his death, you stand before him without blame. It's all done. You were in, created in the image of God. And it was God's intention when he created you. It is God's intention that you should be holy. And the holy, glorious, God-like image of that God created a sin we know was lost in the Garden of Eden. 
Adam and Eve went from being alive to dead. They went from light to darkness. They went from holy to sinful. They went from God's glorious image to fallen man. And since that day, everything that God has done is about redemption. Buying us back at the cost of his only begotten son, Jesus the Christ. And that's the story of this book. Men and women... Meeting God, coming to Christ for salvation and being reborn again into the image of God. And so God just says, be ye holy and without blame before him in love. I want us to look at a, a couple men. in the Bible, and what happened to them when they met God. Turn, turn with me to Exodus. We're going to look at Moses. We'll begin reading in chapter 33 when we get there. You know about Moses. You know that how he was hidden in the bulrushes. You know how that he was raised by a princess, the daughter of Pharaoh. The Bible says he had this world-class, prestigious education, the finest education available to man at that time. You know that he grew up in 40 years to be powerful and entitled. And then one day he saw that a Jew was being abused by an Egyptian guard, and he killed the guard. And he somehow thought this was kind of the beginning of his ministry, I suppose, as he had chosen to be identified with Israel and not Egypt. And he was so surprised that when Israel didn't applaud him at all, and he became a wanted man in Egypt, and he, he, he fled He wasn't ready for God to use 40 years later in Egypt. But he fled in the next 40 years. He went from being a prince to being a shepherd. I mean, it's kind of the bottom of the barrel, you know, uh, uh, in that day and age and in that economy, you know, to be a shepherd. And for the next 40 years, except for what family he had, he He's got nobody to talk to but sheep. And after 40 years, God says, well, I think he's ready. And so God began to speak to him from the burning bush. And he was ready. Instead of being powerful and, and entitled, uh, he, he said, who, me, God? He said, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. Well, he could 40 years ago, but he can't anymore. He's ready. Lord, I, Lord, I'm not fit. 
I'm not fit. You've got to find someone that is more capable than I am. He says, I don't think they'll believe me. I don't think they're going to believe me. So then in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 13, Now therefore, Moses said, I pray thee, if you insist, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me how now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And God said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give you rest. And he said unto him, well, if thy presence doesn't go with me, hey, I don't want to go. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For Moses, you have found grace in my sight, and I know thee, Moses, I know thee by name. And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. <laughs> Moses is ready. Lord, I want to know you better. I want to know you better. I mean, we got a lot to do here. We've got to get a bunch of people out of Egypt. And, I mean, the ministry is a great thing. But Moses, but Moses says, I tell you, what I want more than anything else, I want to see your glory. I want to know you better. In chapter 34... In verse 5, the Lord descended. They've gone up onto Mount Sinai. Moses has got the tablets with him. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thou thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and the will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children and under the third and fourth generation and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped How did Moses feel about God? God was glorious. He was merciful. He was gracious. He was long-suffering, abundant in goodness, truth, and forgiving. And how did Moses see himself? He saw himself as stiff-necked, filled with iniquity, and sinful, and the Bible says he quickly, immediately dropped on his face and worshipped, worshipped God. That's what anyone does that truly meets 
the Lord God. That's what everyone does that meets the Lord God. They bow and they worship. Another is Job. Esther, Job. Job was a wonderful, wonderfully successful man. He is a wonderful success story. Wealth, family, health. You know the story how that God allowed Satan to take it all from him. It was your worst nightmare. It was the thing you would have dreaded most in all of this life. And once it has happened and as it was gone, in chapter 38, Job has been muttering and his friends have been muttering. And the Lord answered Job in chapter 38, out of the world went and said, Who in the world is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Who is it? I had a former pastor up in Reed City. He was there years before I was, long since gone to be with the Lord. He was always talking about people that had been educated beyond their intellect. That's kind of the world we live in, isn't it? It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they're uneducated. They're just lost. They don't know right from wrong, up from down, left from right. They don't know. Jesus said, if they had known, they wouldn't have killed me. They didn't know. They don't know. Why are we surprised when they get it wrong? When they make fools of themselves? Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man. Job, I will demand of you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. In chapter 39, I mean, God wasn't done. I mean, uh, I think he'd made his point by now, but he wasn't done. Knowest thou, in verse 1, the time when the wild goats of the rock shall bring forth? Or canst thou mark what the hinds do calve? Do you know about that, Job? In chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job, said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, Oh God, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth, and once I have spoken, but hey, I will not answer you, yea, twice. But I will proceed no further. And in chapter 42, Then Job answered the Lord again and said, I know, I know that thou canst do everything. Do you know that living in 2018 in this present world? 
Do you understand that you are walking through a minefield, a spiritual minefield, and you don't have a clue where the mines are at? I think you ought to get a hold of God's hand. I think you ought to hang on for dear life. Better than that, I think you ought to let God hang on to you. He knows where the mines are at. How does he do that? Well, I don't know. He's God. He's, he's so good at being God. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful God. He's never surprised. He's, he, he's, he's never, never cornered. He, he is always prepared. He always has been. It can never be too hard for God. Never. I think you ought to get close. I think you ought to stay as close to God as you possibly can. I think you ought to regularly look up, make sure he's still there. Make sure you haven't wandered off somewhere. I know that thou canst do everything. I know that no thought. You sure you want this verse to be in the Bible? I know that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that which I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now, now my eye. Mine eyes see you, and I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's the same response as Moses. I abhor myself. I repent of my unworthiness. And you, God, are sovereign and glorious. One more. Isaiah. Isaiah. We could go on all day like this. People meeting God. Their life being transformed and changed. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. I saw him high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings with twain. He covered his face with twain. Two. He covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you see it? Don't be distracted by the horrors. Don't be distracted by the corruption. Don't be distracted by the lies. Don't be distracted by the betrayals. Don't be distracted by the tragedies that are going on around us every day. Don't do it. The whole earth is filled with his glory. 
I hope you can see it. Hope you can see it, kids. Hope you're counting on it always being there. We could go to the book of Ezekiel and see when the glory was departing. Terrible thing. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The house was filled with smoke and, and then said, I woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. You see, mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my lips and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. And thy sin is purged. And I suddenly heard a voice saying, Well, who shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, How about me? How about me? I'd like to go. I'd like to represent you. I'd like to be your witness. What did he think of himself? He said, I'm undone. I'm unworthy. I am a man of unclean lips. He said, I have seen the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. And he has cleansed and forgiven me. How about you? Are you cleansed and forgiven? <laughs> Who will go for me? How about you? Why don't you go? He's worthy. One more. Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 10, talking about being filled with the Spirit and in the Spirit. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Hey, this is the Lord's day. I trust that we're here in the Spirit. I hope you're not someplace else or thinking about someplace else. I hope you're here. I hope you're right in the middle of Revelation, chapter 1. God, what do you have got for me? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice. Boy, you notice how often that happens in these men's, these people's lives. As of a trumpet. And the trumpet said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then unto Laodicea. And so I turned to see the voices spake unto me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks I saw one like unto the Son of Man, 
clothed with a garment down to his feet, a girt about the paps with a golden girdle, and his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a goodness, a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of a trumpet earlier, but now of many waters, it was, it was just deafening. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And the countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, <laughs> when I saw him, I just <laughs> fell at his feet as dead. I think we saw that someplace else, didn't we? That's what happens. That's what happens when you meet God. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? Your life will never be the same. This is what we would all do. This is what we did. Except for the redemption, the salvation of Christ that raises us up. Like Moses, we're stiff-necked, sinful, filled, and full of iniquity. Like Job, we abhor ourselves and see ourselves as unworthy. Like Isaiah, we are undone, a people of unclean lips. And like John, we all end up off of our feet on our face as dead. We could go on to Paul who said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this? It's true of everyone. Except those that have never given their heart to Jesus Christ. I heard the story recently of uh, a little boy who went to Sunday school. His father didn't go, but he wanted the little boy to go to Sunday school and the little boy went to Sunday school, and there they had the lesson of the crossing of the Red Sea, the opening of the Red Sea, going through on dry ground, and then how that the armies of Egypt were destroyed and the, when the waters came back. And so when the little boy got home, his father said to him, he said, well, tell me, what did you learn today? Well, he said, uh, the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites. And they came to the Red Sea and they got the engineers together and they built a pontoon bridge across the sea. <laughs> and as soon as they got across, Egypt, the Egyptians were following them across on this bridge and they blew it up. <laughs> and the father who didn't go to church, he thought, is that really what they taught you? And he said, no, but if I told you what they taught me, you wouldn't believe it anyway.
but you and I do believe it. God help us. We do believe it. We so much believe that our God is holy. Our God is all-powerful, glorious, majestic. And we believe that we were created and and, and, and to be in the image of God. And, and when he tells us to be holy, it's, it's, it's possible. You can be holy. You can have your sins forgiven. And now, he expects you to be holy. He expects you to be without blame before him in love. Let's look at 1 Peter 115. 1 Peter 115. Let's put that up. But as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Be ye holy in everything you do. Your lifestyle ought to speak of the glory and the holiness of God. It's our privilege to be forgiven. It's our commission to be a witness. And people ought to look at us and say, what in the world is the matter with you? You're not like the rest of the world. It seems to me that you're a lot like Jesus. The only problem is they don't know who Jesus is anymore. I just want to read you the next couple verses. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, Do it in fear, but do it in reverence to this holy God. For as much as you know, you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, or from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you know that you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily, truly, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but has been made manifest in these last days for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. You believe that. You you believe that God raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. If you believe that this morning, You're a child of God. Get to know him better. Acquaint yourself with God. The most important thing about you is what do you believe about God?